Today we're going to talk about God's resetting of our lives. And I encourage you to take out your Bible, if you would, and turn over to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, Mark's Gospel chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. The end of the chapter. And uh, I encourage you to follow along as I read, and you can also see it on the slides. It says in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? We begin today a four-part series entitled God's Resetting of Our Lives. I believe that during this pandemic crisis, God is getting the attention of Christians and non-Christians in our country and around the world to understand that he is sovereign and he's Lord over all, that we as humans really do not have any control in many ways. There are many, many people in our society who feel hopeless, filled with despair, they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or the next day. They may have lost their job. They're overwhelmed with being home with their children and trying to help them with their schooling. They may have lost a loved one or a dear friend, a co-worker to coronavirus. In this brief series, I want to give each of us some hope, some faith, and understanding how we're to think and act while we get through this and what we need to do and be as a church. Going forward, the church as we know it will not be the same when we do gather back together again. I think there'll be a lot of changes. And so as we think about that, I encourage you to turn your attention to these scriptures. And let me just give you a little background and context as we read this very important story of faith. Well, Mark's writing to, from the perspective of Peter, not only in this section, but basically the whole book. He, Peter is, is telling him his stories and Mark is recording them. And beginning with verse 1 of chapter 4, Jesus got into a boat to teach a few parables because the crowd was so massive. And a parable, as we are reminded, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He shared four stories. He talked about the parable of the sower. And you remember that story where uh, the seed is the word of God and it's cast out onto four different soils or really four different hearts of people, the different types of hearts. He talked about, second of all, the teaching that Christ followers would be salt and light and their spheres of influence. His third story in chapter four was Jesus talking about seed growing and creating a harvest. And then he caps off his teaching before they get into the boat or and head over to the other side, to the eastern shore of Galilee. He talks about faith as a mustard seed. And the mustard seed was a very, very small seed. And he said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, God will answer your prayer and do amazing things. 
Jesus' thought pattern throughout this chapter is that one hears the teaching of the promise of what he's teaching about faith. And then as they listen to these examples of it in a way that they can better understand, they apply it to their lives. They put it into their heart. Romans 10, 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith must become an integral part of your heart, your seat of emotions, the place you make the decisions. You have to display it outwardly to be true faith. There must be evidence if you say that you have faith. James says, faith without works is dead. And that's why Jesus wanted to test the faith of these disciples in this chapter. He was giving them a test over what he just taught in those four stories, especially the last one. And he sends a storm to reveal what kind of faith and how strong their faith is. I know in my life, whether I've worked in the secular world, which I did for 13 years, and is also in the church, there have been times of opportunities to compromise, to give in my integrity, and to um, look for short-term gratification and the approval of men to the exclusion of what God wanted me to do. And it was a test of faith each and every time. What was I going to do? How was I going to respond? Was I going to look at it from God's perspective, the long-term benefit, or was I going to fail and choose to do what I want to do right then and there, which is expedient? And that's the challenge that these disciples faced. Now let's look at our first point this, me this morning. Our first point is a God's plan and purpose on display. We see God's plan and purpose on display with these disciples. Back in Mark 4, look at verse 35. On that day, the day where Jesus had been preaching and, and uh, ministering all day long, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. You can imagine that Jesus was exhausted after a long day of ministry, a long day of meeting people's needs, of healing people, of listening to their concerns and showing compassion. And he had two reasons probably for wanting to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. One, he wanted and needed to prepare to rest. He prepared for a time of rest. Our world is at rest in many ways with this coronavirus. I saw on a Twitter account yesterday a picture of the Himalaya mountains in India. And uh, they showed the fact that for 30 years they were unable to see from 200 miles from this village the snow-capped mountains of the Himalayans. But now, because all the factories are shut down, there's no pollution, for the first time, think of it, in 30 years, they were able to see, in the distance, the Himalayan mountains. There was an article this week in the New York Times called Seismometers Detecting Strange Silence, The Missing Notes of Humanity's Thumping Pulse. The article talked about how seismometers may be built to detect earthquakes, but their mechanical ears hear so much more. They hear hurricanes thundering hundreds of miles away, meteoroids exploding in the skies on the other side of the planet. Even in the everyday hum of humanity, people moving about on cars, trains, and planes have seismically detectable heartbeat. But it goes on to say coronavirus has upended our lives, hoping to curtail the pandemic spread 
Nations have closed their borders. Cities have been shut down and billions of people have been instructed to stay home. Today in cities large and small, the thumping pulse of civilization is now barely detectable on many seismograms. Think about that. Human activity. We were created for human activity, but we were also created as well to enjoy the Sabbath. And as part of God's reset plan, this virus has made us take time to stop and rest from our very hurried and distracted life. This is a time to clear your brain, to eat healthy, to exercise, to get plenty of sleep, and to get recharged. That's why God made a point in one of the Ten Commandments, to honor the Sabbath. That's why he modeled it when, after six days of creation, he chose to rest. He knew that man was not made to run all out all the time. There's so much to the fact that we need to live with rhythms in our life. That we need to have boundaries and margins and plans for time to rest. The benefits of rest are many. You get better health physically, emotionally, and mentally. You have more creativity in your thinking. People are more content and at peace. It rejuvenates us in many, many ways. I think back to the church I served in Illinois, and there was a man there named Dave Prairie, and his story was that he went to a Christian college, and then he came back to Grant Park, Illinois, to a small town, and he built a nursery. He started planting shrubs and trees and flowers and began to sell them to the community there. And as he opened up his business, several of the businessmen told him that he would fail because he was going to be closed on Sunday. Well, he defied the odds, he proved them wrong, and he became very, very successful and became very wealthy. I think of stories of Hobby Lobby and David Green and his desire for his, uh, his employees to be home with their family and have opportunities to worship by being closed on Sunday. True, Kathy, when he was alive, had that vision for Chick-fil-A as well, and it continues to this day. There's an amazing, amazing uh, thing about getting rest that it helps us work the rest of the week uh, more productively. Well, this coronavirus, this is an amazing time for us to spend with our children. There may never be another time like this in their lifetime or your lifetime. There are many stories that we could tell of creative things that parents have done to build memories with their kids. Just the other day in a Today Show, I saw a dad who decided to create his own ice cream store for his kids. And uh, there was a window that opened up, and there was his deck, and there were little kids' chairs there, and the kids could come up and order ice cream from their dad, and he would make them milkshakes or whatever they wanted. And there was just an opportunity to build a memory together. This is the time for us to reevaluate what's simple, what's really important, and to get rid of the bad habits of destruction and distraction that have built up into our lives. And then second of all, we see that not only was he preparing for a time of rest, but to prepare for a new opportunity for ministry. To prepare for a new opportunity for ministry. It says here in verse 36, just as he was. In other words, he was already in the boat. In the boat that was going to take the, him and the disciples over to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And he'd been in that boat preaching all day. He was ready to go. But he was ready also to move on to a new opportunity of ministry. He was going to uh, 
uh, uh, go to a new frontier to share the good news of God's kingdom. And Jesus was always pointing the disciples again and again to the fact that they needed to reach out to their fellow Jews and help them come to the place of seeing that he was the Messiah and to accept him as the Messiah so they could have eternal life. By faith, God wants us from time to time to be stretched in our outreach to other people. We develop new relationships. Some of you have just recently moved into a new home and you have new neighbors. Some of you have recently taken on a new job and you have new co-workers. And so these are opportunities to uh, do outreach and share the good news with people that are new in your sphere of influence. These disciples pushed the boat out of the dock for the five-mile journey to the east on the Sea of Galilee. And as they left, the water was calm as they headed on their journey. And Jesus challenged the disciples by implying with a promise that if they left the dock in the boat, they would make it to the other side. He had every intention of getting them there safely as well as himself. So we see this application, prepare to rest, prepare for new opportunities of ministry. The application here is the disciples should not have been afraid because of the promise made by Jesus. If he said we're going to go and we're going to make it, they should have relied on him by faith. Well, we see how they struggle with their faith in this story, but the lesson they should have already learned is that if Jesus said something, it's going to happen. It's going to come to pass, no matter the circumstances. So second of all, we see God's providence on display. God's providence on display. He had a plan. He had a purpose for this journey. But then we see his providence, his control in the disciples' lives. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And the disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? First of all, you see here the fear felt by the expert fishermen. The fear. Now understand the context here. The Sea of Galilee is... 690 feet below sea level. The sea is surrounded by hills and mountains. Mount Hermon is one of those mountains surrounding it, and it's about 9,200 feet high. So when you're in the Sea of Galilee, you're almost looking up about 10,000 feet to the top. And from May to October, I read that strong winds come and force their way through the gorges and the valleys to create hurricane-like winds sometimes on the Sea of Galilee. Windstorm here in this passage in the Greek means hurricane-like wind. The same Greek word is used in Matthew 8.24, talking about the same story from Matthew's perspective. He says, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus was asleep. So you get the idea here, a ferocious storm overwhelming. It was probably dark. It was probably in the evening as they traveled. And these disciples, some of them were very successful fishermen. I mean, they had done that for many years before they started to follow Jesus. And I'm sure they'd been out on the Sea of Galilee and they had weathered numerous storms. But for some reason, this storm was overwhelming and they felt like they were going to lose their life. This must have been a doozy of a storm. But we see the freedom 
Jesus felt the rest. We see the freedom that Jesus felt. He was at peace. He knew his heavenly father was going to take care of him. And so he was able to sleep in the midst of the storm. He was fast asleep in the stern, the back end of the boat, most likely sleeping on a sailor's leather cushion. He had given us, he had given his all emotionally and spiritually to the throngs of people that he had ministered to all day. And I want you to notice a very, very important thing here. Jesus' presence in the boat did not prevent or stop the storm. Notice that. Jesus' presence in the boat did not prevent or stop the storm. Second of all, just because Jesus was sleeping, it didn't imply that he was indifferent or he didn't care about the disciples and their safety. No, it was all meant to build character and to real, reveal their faith quotient, how much faith that they really had. Don't ever forget that. On some occasions, storms come in our lives due to disobedience. And in the scriptures, we see examples of that, like Jonah. He was cast over because of the, because of the storm. He was cast into the ocean and swallowed by a giant fish. But here, and in the case of Job and other places, storms are sent our way because we are obedient. Because we need the storm to build intimacy with, with God and to build character in our lives. I can remember when my youngest son Daniel was going to Pleasant Valley High School. And I picked him up. We, we had church that night. We had youth group. And, and I picked him up and we we're going home and we we're listening to K-Love and he was singing. And the next thing we know, just south of Leclerc, we hit a deer. Now, you know, we were doing what God wants us to do. We were at church. We were doing all these things. But yet, we hit a deer. And there's things that are going to happen in our life even though we are be obedient and doing what God says. Well, the disciples, they were so upset at the storm and upset that Jesus was sleeping through it, seemingly clueless and caring less about their safety, he, they decide to wake him up and they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are about to perish? Verse 38. And just before the disciples saw more of Jesus' deity and his amazing control over nature, they had a touching picture of a man who was human. 100% man, but 100% God. And in his humanity, his body was physically weary, and he needed to sleep, and he was fast asleep, peaceful, in the midst of a raging storm. Their rebuke showed that they had missed applying what Jesus had taught just a little while ago in his four parables, especially the last one when he talked about having the faith of a mustard seed. Though they called him teacher, a rabboni, they missed the teaching. While the disciples witnessed by Jesus sleeping saw that he had perfect peace in the midst of the storm raging around him. He was in God's will. He could sleep because, as I said, he knew the Father loved him and he knew, knew the Father would ultimately take care of him. And that's where we need to be in the midst of this coronavirus. Psalm chapter 4, verse 8 says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. We all fall short at times in not having enough faith. We get overwhelmed with the world situations and the circumstances around us. And the Lord to be loved and accepted by our fellow man. 
to the exclusion of doing what God wants us to do, and we walk in unbelief at times. But the disciples should have thought about this. Jesus and who he was. They saw him perform miracles. They knew that they lived with him for 24-7 for a number of years. They saw healings. They saw demons removed from people. They saw him use his authority to forgive people because he was God. And yet they battled severely in their hearts with unbelief. So here's the application. The disciples should not have been afraid because God was in the boat. God was in the boat. Our third and last point is this. God's power was on display. God had a plan and purpose. He showed his providence and now he's displaying his power. Look at verse 39 through 41 of Mark chapter 4 and it says, and He awoke, Jesus did, and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Notice first of all in these verses that Jesus rebuked that calms the storm. Jesus rebuked that calms the storm. The word rebuke here means order. He ordered, he commanded. The Greek word used here is in, found in Mark 1.25 when Jesus removed a demon from a person as another example. In Mark 1.25, but Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him speaking to the demon. This is a strong word, a command. Jesus is saying to the water, be silent, be muzzled. Jesus is saying to the laws of nature here to stop what you're doing and listen to me. We think of God's power in weak ways. It isn't that Jesus had to conjure up the power like some wizard or witch. The other night, my wife and I watched on Disney Plus Onward. Onward's a Pixar movie that was supposed to be in theaters right now, but due to the fact of coronavirus and the theaters are closed, they released it to Disney Plus. And in there is a teenage boy who uh, got his dad's stick and a phoenix gem and put the phoenix gem and this tightly wrapped branch, and because he could intentionally focus and say the right words and do just the right things, if he, if he did all that, then he could conjure up magic and power. Well, Jesus literally had to limit and localize his power. He had so much power, he had to be careful how he used it. I think of the example of Lazarus. Theologians have said that when Jesus came to Lazarus' tomb, and he said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth out of the tomb, that if Jesus had merely said, come forth, every dead body would have come out of their graves. And Jesus had so much power, he had to be careful how he used it. Notice something else about this order from Jesus. The winds and the storm didn't gradually calm down, but it was like the snap of the finger. And the sea was smooth as glass, and the winds were gone. What an amazing power. I mean, it was just like the difference between night and day. Immediately, everything listened to his rebuke. Then we see Jesus' rebuke of the disciples' unbelief. And here's what's really interesting. Jesus turns to what really bothered them the most. What bothered them the most wasn't the storm around them and that they might perish, as the disciples feared. 
He was more concerned about the state of the disciples' heart of unbelief than about the storm capsizing the boat. He said, why are you afraid? Why do you have cowardly fear or no faith? What was the lesson Jesus said that they had failed at? Well, they heard the words of Christ. They saw the miracles and healings. Now saw they had authority over the wind and the waves, and yet they still did not trust Jesus to take care of them, even when he was in the boat with them in the middle of the storm. Jesus had removed every reason as to why they should not be afraid and showed that he's in control in each and every situation in their lives. It should cause us to take great pause as we think of this story. Where is our faith? Do you think God is not hearing your prayers when he says, wait in the midst of the storm? Is he unwilling to wait? Are we unwilling to wait on him and grow closer in our dependence upon him and to grow more intimately in love with him through the storm? You see, we don't choose the storm. The storm chooses us. Then it's up to us how we react with faith or with unbelief. Do we react by faith to grow and to be filled with his peace? Most of the time, God is not going to deliver us from the storm, but he will walk through the storm with us, displaying his perfect peace. A great promise from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. And great psalm, Psalm 23, that we're all familiar with, I'm sure. But notice these calming words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Then verse 4, he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Rod and staff, the rod to prod us, to discipline us at times, staff to protect us from the temptations and problems and evils around us. The last thing we see here today is that Jesus is revered by the disciples. He's revered. I think the disciples, having witnessed the miracle of the calming of the sea by Jesus, were more terrified as to who was in the boat at this point than what they had just witnessed with the waves around them. I would bet some of them thought about jumping out of the boat because they were so afraid of the power that Jesus possessed in their presence, the very Son of God. In verse 41, great fear is referring to the newfound deep reverence and holy fear that they had for Jesus. Too many times you and I, when we're in the trials of our life, we cry out, Lord, don't you care? Just remember the story. Of course God cares. He got up from his sleep and rebuked the storm and he will eventually remove the storm in your life. Remember that this story that Jesus had was more concerned about the heart of the disciples, their unbelief, than the storm itself. A song that's had a lot of meaning to me over the recent years is by Christine DeMarco, Bethel Music. It's called It Is Well, and it's based off of that famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And in the song, it says this, Grander earth has quaked before, moved by the sound of his voice. Seas that are shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken for my regard. 
So let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and wind still know his name. So let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and wind still know his name. The same Jesus that in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, it calmed the storm is the same God that we have today that can calm our storms and help us to walk through the storms of our lives. I think it's interesting when I was young as a teenager and early adulthood, I had a big problem with motion sickness. I'd get on airplanes and my stomach would churn when we hit turbulent times. And there were times I thought I was going to get sick. Riding a roller coaster, riding a zip line at Trout Lake, Trout Lake Camp a few years ago. But what's interesting, if you learn to relax in the midst of the turbulence, you find peace and you can just ride out the storm. I still can't ride tilt the world, anything that spins around, but these other things, if you relax and trust the safety of the equipment or trust the pilot in the airplane, you can be at peace in the midst of turbulence. Well, application here is the disciples should not have been afraid because they saw Jesus had perfect peace in the midst of the storm. He had perfect peace in the midst of the storm. As we close today, let's apply this teaching this morning to our current situation with COVID-19. Some people are discouraged and even depressed due to the circumstances of their life and what's happened in the last six weeks because of this pandemic. Some have lost their jobs. Some are very lonely because they have to be isolated and they have no one else in the house with them. Some are just tired of being cooped up in the house. This pandemic has jolted our world unlike anything that I've experienced in my lifetime. This is bigger than 9-11 or the Katrina hurricane because those were kind of local or even regional, but this is a worldwide disaster. And so people are afraid on many levels. But this is the time for us as believers to share how they can have peace with God and receive the peace that passes all understanding through the Holy Spirit. This is a time for us to let our faith eat our fears and be courageous. Courageous is not the absence of fear, but it's the overcoming of fear to do what God wants us to do. This is a time to share the reason for the hope that's within each and every one of us with those around us that are despondent and looking for answers. Our key thought here is this. We should revere the God who is in our boat more than the storms that rage around us. We should revere the God who is in our boat more than the storms that rage around us. And I left you a few questions to ponder this week. If you found the outline, the outline um, is on the app. If you missed some fill-in-the-blanks, you can go under sermon notes. But some questions to ponder this week. And I want to zero in on uh, the third one. Have you experienced that perfect peace in the midst of turbulent times? And would you share that experience with others during this pandemic? That's the challenge I leave with you. If you have that peace and you have that faith, this is the time to share it with those around you. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we come and thank you for this story. We thank you for the where, where you placed it in the Bible after your teachings. And it just reminds us that it's not enough to hear these things. It's not enough to even put them in our heart, but we have to act on the faith that you've given us. 
That's the real message of chapter four in Mark. And Lord, help us. Help us when the storms of life come our way or we're in the midst of them now. Help us to, to see what our faith quotient is. Do we have great faith? Or do we suffer with unbelief? Lord, help us to have the faith of a mustard seed, to know that when we ask in Jesus' name that at his time and his way, he will answer our prayer in the way that he deems his will. And help us to take great comfort that you're in the boat with us, no matter what we go, because as believers, we carry the Holy Spirit with us wherever we go. And we can enjoy, even in the midst of tribulation, joy and that peace that passes all understanding. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.